Great to see you. Great to see you. Great to see you. Here we go. Uh, let's pray. We beg you, O Lord, to help us and defend us. Deliver the oppressed. Have compassion on the despised. Raise the fallen. Reveal yourself to the needy. Heal the sick. Bring back those who have strayed from you. Feed the hungry. Lift up the weak. Remove the prisoner's chains. May every nation come to know that you are God alone, that Jesus is your Son, that we are your people, the sheep of your pasture. Amen. Now there's a glory in those, um, partly those prayers. There's this, it's clearly a guy who pray, who's prayed before because the range uh, by which he prays is quite remarkable. You remember the prayer that we occasionally run from St. Basil who prays for those enslaved and those in the mines. Uh, you know, it's a remarkable thing. That's clearly a prayer that's, you know, what he's up to right now. Okay, thanks for last night, you who showed up and you who helped clean and you who couldn't show up but will show up next time. Uh, it, was quite a, it was quite a thing, so that was very, very nice. Thanks especially to Lindsay and Steve Chester who bore the bulk of it. Um, they, need, they need a little more. Well, you know, we, there are lots of people, and, and we probably could use more people, but it was very nicely done, and everything was cleaned up, and you'd have never known it, except for the police cars outside. You'd have never known that we were, hey, the police were, this will do record for St. John, the police were here twice this week, on Friday and on Saturday. So I'm like, I'm standing outside with a beer in my hand, like, They're just rolling by, you know. I mean, they're through the parking lot. He was rolling through the parking lot. I'm just like, so, I mean, it's all good. Life's beautiful. You know, you're good. I don't think there was any trouble. So everything is fine. We actually, they were given Portillo's the previous night. So that it, was all, it was all good. Maybe they were back for dinner. Maybe they were back for dinner. See, we got to. We, we need to, well. At least among in police circles. So, uh, yeah. Uh, okay, how about uh, if you throw some money in the basket, we'll give it to Spain. Uh, Dr. Just is making regular trips over there. We can help him with his plane tickets or we can help other people. If you follow him on Instagram, you'll see him all over the place. It's kind of interesting. It's in big transition right now. It's transferring to, from the Argentinians to the Americans, which is a nice thing. Uh, nothing against the Argentinians, but they had their decades, so we'll take a crack now and uh, we'll see what'll happen there. So life should be good. All right. Anything else we forget? So thanks all around. It's been really pleasant here lately. Um, by the way, you'll get to stop eating now for a little while. Uh, and it's, uh, it's Christmas sharing time, right? So toys and help me. Toys and something else. Toys and what else, Carol? Oh, Clo- no. Uh, laundry detergent. Laundry detergent. Paper we, products. Paper products. Food is next month, right? But this month, this month is laundry detergent, always popular. Uh, toys and games. Oh, and, and paper products. No, those that shop at Jewel. Yeah. They're giving away pots. Yeah, right. Okay, bring your pots and pans in. No, 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 no. Save your stickers. Bring them in. We'll take care of the rest. What are you redoing your kitchen? <laughs> All right, good. Yeah, that's very nice. So bring your stickers to Carol. That's that's actually kind of fun. So, but games and toys are fun. That's a fun time to time to be shopping. Hats and gloves, you know, all the stuff that's on sale. Be be on the lookout. Okay, so Oktoberfest. That oh, Friday night. Uh, so we had this little project that was just going to be put some Tazay songs on a CD for kids to sing along. It's blown into this having people come in, sing, mixing things up. So Friday night, five thirty, I think. But check the thing downstairs. There's, <clears throat> we're going to sing 
different things and actually record it and give it away to people. <clears throat> Not just kids, I guess there's the plan to give it away for visiting families and stuff like that. But it should be very nice and some of the um, you know, more mature voices will be there, the kids will be there, but you can be there too. We may, I think, do take a couple of takes on things to try to check about speed and, and, and sound and everything. So if you can come, I think it's, uh, wait, we're not done eating because I think there's something afterward, right? <clears throat> Is there dinner afterward? Okay, so you can sing for your supper, apparently. So, uh, so come at 5.30, sing for an hour-ish, I suppose, and then somebody will make something and it'll be fabulous. Do we need to bring drinks? Does anybody know? Everything's there. All right, good. Fantastic. I always wonder, I always wonder like where the beer goes after a night like last night. I'm like, there's somebody, some, is there like a beer food bank somewhere that that goes to? Or? Oh, it goes to the refrigerator. Okay, good. All right. I just check in. Don't tell the children. All right, good. All right, you ready? So questions about anything? All right, so let's just go, we'll try to shoot right down the outline, okay? So um, it's funny, people make a range of excuses about the church, and, and people are put off by the churches, and the church hasn't always done a good job, and, you know, what can we do about that? And, and part of it is, is a night like last night is just completely disarming for people, which is great, because you should come to people unarmed. And so often the church uh, has, you know, what people see with the church's in and out and judgment and harshness, which... You know, there's an element of that. Of course, when Jesus is begging people to come along, at some point, you know, things get squared up. But really, I mean, that's not really, that's not your job. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord, which means vengeance isn't yours or mine, which means then you live in love. And so, um, so often the church, you know, it's very difficult to distinguish our anger from God's anger for us and our judgment from God's judgment. And we're all too happy to be angry and to be judgmental. And I just suggest to you, you know, let that drop out of your pockets on the way home today. You can't go wrong by loving people. You just, you just can't go wrong. It's difficult. It's taxing. I mean, people push you the wrong way. It's a hard thing to do. And that very pregnant uh, margin combat by Rowan Williams today about how to live in the church, to live in love, to live in grace is to live in suffering. It's very interesting simply because that's how Jesus chose to save the world. And if you're going to be conformed to the image of Christ, you're going to be conformed in some sense to his suffering, to temptation, to difficulty. Nevertheless, what the church says is, in the course of uh, suffering, that every challenge is a chance to exercise divine virtue. You know, every suffering is a chance to exercise divine love. And so, uh, and someday, you know, the Lord will sort it all out. Um, I'm going to tomorrow, tonight, I'm going to Detroit to give two papers at the Pastors Conference in Michigan tomorrow, Monday and Tuesday. And one of them I'm going to give is the, is the text I've given you on anger. You know, sort of the day, you know, what, what do people do when they're angry? Because in the church there's a lot of anger. And it, it's, the church is the one place there shouldn't be any anger at all, you know. So I'm doing one day on beauty and one day on anger. It should be an interesting little... A uh, little juxtaposition, we'll see what happens. So, here's the plan. This is just point number one. And this is as much as I ask you to do. Be kind to people. So last night is a great example. You're not selling anything. You're not trying for anything. Really, just can you just, just be loving to people? And things like last night, it's just, it's utterly, it's just, it's the perfect environment for that. So I'm so happy the way things have worked out downstairs. I'm happy for the people who have volunteered. I'm, I'm downstairs, I mean, I'm glad that the space works. I'm very happy. 
you know, uh, Gretchen Scheele and Val, what they do with the kids, you can drop your kids off and it's completely safe and life's good and, and Mary, they take care of it, it's all great. You know, just be kind to people because the world is short on kindness. I've had a few of you, more than a few of you call me and, uh, you know, ask about all the things that are going on from the war in the Middle East to, you know, there was now this morning a second person infected with Ebola in Dallas, so now everybody's rethinking everything. Did we get it right? Did we get it wrong? You know, and people have called about that and, you know, here's the thing. Um, I've talked to a few people about this. You know, there's a chance, this is an interesting theory, that the last hundred years has been kind of an anomaly. There's a great book, Liberation Theology, by uh, Gutierrez in the introduction where he says something like this. He says there's 4,498 4, years of recorded history, and, there, and the world has been at war, you know, 4,123 of those years. So in recorded history, the preponderance of, of human history, the records of human history, is the record of war, is the record of killing people, is the record of hatred. It could be that the, in the last century the world was so exhausted by the first, two, the first two world wars and then the consequent wars, Korea and Vietnam and the other skirmishes. It could be that the last hundred years was unduly calm just because it's like the Thirty Years' War in Germany. People fight so hard, they finally just, there's, there's not a spear, an arrow, or a person left to shoot. People just get exhausted. It's, so it's possible that the last hundred years is kind of an anomaly, and that what we're experiencing now, even though we're not used to it, my generation, so you know, my, my older brother, two years older, just missed the draft, so my generation has been relatively peaceful. So far into my kids' generation it has been. That's not the way the world normally works. The, nor the world is normally a rougher place, and the church is normally much more persecuted, although the last century, more Christian martyrs in the 20th century than any time before. So it's possible, you know, the lid's about to come off things, but you, here's the great thing about being in the church. We know exactly what to do. We know exactly what to do. The postmodern world is shaping up to be very much like the ancient world, where Christians are a minority, that they're regularly persecuted, sometimes tolerated, and you have to tend yourself so that you're known by your love and here there's a practical benefit of that here's the thing when you're in charge when you run the empire you can live by hatred and people have to live with it when you're a minority if you live by hatred it comes back to you because eventually the majority whoever they happen to be will squash you or do their best to thing is that's not difficult for us because we live in love if we live in love it's like the early pagans that, that, that great letter occasionally runs in the margin comment where this guy was supposed to go out and list the reasons for why they should kill the Christians, exterminate them basically. And he sends a letter back to the emperor that says, these people are really weird, you know, they bury the dead, they give their food to the poor, they tend the sick when nobody else will tend them. You know, this famous line, see how they love one another. And he basically says, I really can't find a reason that we should exterminate them. It's a very interesting kind of comment. Well, it could be that things are coming back around, we'll just see what happens. And all the things where you know, government is interconnected, that it seems so confusing. Marriage, for example. You know what? The church was marrying people starting in Eden for a long time before there was any city hall. And you know what? The church can carry on the way it carries on. Um, you know, we do what we do. Or just being, being kind to people or absorbing people or feeding people. We do what we do, and the chips fall where they fall, and eternity is a good long time. And to carry all that with you into heaven will be a very nice event. So my point is, be kind. It doesn't cost you a thing, except perhaps some suffering in the image of Jesus. But to be kind regularly doesn't even cost you suffering or, or money. Just to be kind to other people and to create that kind of environment where people can feel loved. Because frankly, in most venues, people are judged. 
you know, from jobs to politics to next door neighbors to does your kid make the six-year-old soccer team, right? I mean, most places people are just be kind. The second thing is the ability to tell stories. Now, if you think that you can't tell stories, you should come to Oktoberfest because I'm exhausted from all the stories that were told. <laughs> I found myself moving from story tables to non-story tables just to catch my breath. And there are people among us who have lots and lots and lots of words. You tell stories all day long. So the only suggestion is um, there are some Jesus stories which, by their nature, have more power than your stories. And even if you're not a good storyteller, try to be, but if you're not a good storyteller, the stories of Jesus have one special thing going for them. They're miraculous. They're mysterious. They're otherworldly. They are, if you will, inspirited. So when you speak the words of a Jesus story, you know, it's, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me, Galatians 2. It's actually the Holy Spirit wiggling your tongue, making things work. He also, um, like, you know on your iPhone where you hold it and the things start to jiggle? That's what happens to somebody else's heart when you speak those words. That's not your deal. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to close the sale. I believe that I can't believe. Luther's Catechism, explanation of the third article. I believe that I cannot believe by my own reason or strength. But the Holy Ghost has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. Your job is to be kind and to tell the story. You don't have to tell it like a sledgehammer. You just just tell it like you're, you know, just tell it, you know, just tell the story. Be kind, tell the story. And the Holy Spirit, you know, does his work. This is um, more a matter than of self-discipline than it is of anything else. Because, frankly, you know a lot of the stories, even the story today. Hey, everybody come to the wedding. Somebody doesn't dress up. And Pastor Dukes did a good job of this, which is basically all the clothes were provided. So that's a very willful thing. It's the same story twice. People who won't come and they beat up the servants, you know, they beat up the mailman when he brings the invitation. And the next guy, I mean, the, the, everybody's, all the tuxes are hanging there. You just, they're for you, just put one on. The guy is sort of like, he's really kind of sticking his, sticking his finger in the eye of the host. So, you know, but that's not your business. Your business is just tell the story. So, um, tell stories, ask questions. Be, be kind, tell stories, and maybe ask a question. I give you the example that this is just what Jesus did. So this is point two. Jesus' incarnation is the ultimate kindness. I mean, that, you're, that, you're, that there is a salvation story, that there is a history of salvation is the ultimate kindness. That God would take flesh and blood and be you, right? When, when he could be anything else and is certainly something other. When God comes to be you and will always be you, you you'll go to heaven and you'll see Jesus in the flesh. And that's why we confess in the creed every week. We believe in the resurrection of the body, right? So Jesus has a body, you have a body, and Jesus is kind, and he brings everything he's got. Jesus tells story after story after story. Why is that? Because stories disarm us. It's why all the times in your life where you said, you know what, this is like, and then you tell the story. Because our, our minds work by analogy. It's very difficult to understand who God is and what he does, but if you say things like in the psalm for today, well, God is like a shepherd, and we're like his people. Or God is like a man who had a party, and sometimes we're like people who won't go to the party, right? So we, it, the stories disarm us, and they also a well-told story makes the point. If you can tell the story, it makes the point, right? And this is just what Jesus did. There was a man going down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. They wailed on him, stole all his stuff, and then a lot of really churchy people walked right past him. 
It's a very interesting story. All right. And then the last thing, um, you may not be comfortable with the ask, and I'm not going to push you toward the ask, but I will say this. Jesus asks all the time. When Jesus says, you know, isn't that good for you? Or why don't you come to church? Or follow me? Or how'd you like to be a disciple? Or, you know, leave that behind because that won't help you. What do you think? Those are all ways that people are asking for some sort of response, and Jesus does that regularly. When you say to somebody, hey, why don't you come along to my church? Let's have some fun. Um, that is part of the ask, okay? So, uh, just kind of, that's just my way of view. Turn the, turn, the, turn the page, just to show that I can stay on task for three points. All right? <clears throat> I, just, um, I just, you know, here's the thing. There's nothing new in anything I've said to you, although I've learned over the years. Um, you know, I, can, I, I would often say to myself, yeah, I said that once, eight years ago, right? So everybody should know that. Well, you know, that's not so good. So this is just another swing at the normal stuff of Christ, Scripture, and prayer, and being generous, and coming to the Eucharist and being merciful, and the last one, giving a winsome witness, okay? There's just a rhythm, and this is the rhythm of Christ. Christ tells stories, so we tell stories. Christ is kind, so we're kind. Christ asks nice questions, we ask them too. I love you. Do you know that? That's, you know, Easter, post-Easter. Simon, do you love me? You love the baby Jesus? Yeah, I mean, it's an easy question. You know I love you, right? It's, it's just, it's the best stuff. I think you should always keep in mind that I've tried to say this again and again over the first couple of weeks that Jesus wants everybody home again. There may be some people that you don't want home again. In fact, one of the ways that you can... Well, I'm sorry, I didn't know that that would be funny. Uh, here's the thing. One of the best ways to diagnose whether you, whether you hate somebody or whether you've forgiven them is whether you can imagine uh, horrible things happening to them, or especially in hell. It was sometimes in confession if people just rail, you know, they're just rail against somebody or somebody will come in and just kind of unload. You know, one of the ways to talk about it, um, it's not just to stop people in their tracks, but also to really reflect on is whether you hope that this person would be in hell. To wish another person dead, to wish another person to be in hell, to wish another person to suffer is really to take the position that you don't think everybody should be home again. So, you know what, that's part of the reason we started where we started with the articles we read and all that kind of stuff. All the people you don't like, Jesus really likes them. And all the people you'd rather not sit next to, Jesus is having dinner with them right now. And all the people you think shouldn't be in, don't deserve to be in, you'd rather not they were in, they make you really uncomfortable, plus they stink. Hey, guess what? Wait till you get your place card in heaven. Yeah? Because you, you might spend an eternity next to somebody like that, which will be okay because that's what Jesus wants for you. So try to remember everybody's in and nobody's out. Yours is not to judge. Yours is not to say who's in and who's out. We've never had a funeral, and I've never said to one person ever, you're going straight to hell. I have no knowledge of that. And in a funeral, you never say, you know, I've said plenty of times this person is in heaven because I'm very trusting, especially of the Eucharist and of baptism. Something that Jesus does to people, and it's done. You know, Jesus tattoos them. Jesus feeds them. We bear the wounds of Jesus in our bodies, which to me doesn't mean just that Paul got beat up. It means that he bears the Eucharist. He bears the wound of Jesus, where the soldier speared him on the side, where, where, his, where his hands are pierced with nails. You bear the wounds of Jesus in your body. How do you do that? Take, eat the body of Christ. You bear the wounded body of Jesus in your body. Right? That's what happens to you. So, um, you know, Jesus wants everybody in and nobody out, so we want everybody in, we want nobody out. And the famous C.S. Lewis thing of the door to hell is locked from the inside. 
It's not our job to lock anybody out. Our job is to welcome everybody in. Now, we have, you know, we have, you know, where you have to be clever. I just got an email from a church asking me, you know, what do you do when you have, you know, um, when you have um, known child molesters who enter your congregation? Okay, for example. Well, I mean, under the everybody's in rubric, they're in. But there's other rubrics that we actually talk to them about on the side when that happens, about you can never be alone with a child. You can't go to a restroom by yourself. Um, you know, you can never, you know, one thing that we try to do is keep doors locked so there's no open doors where people can, you know, be in a room. I mean, there's, you should keep eyes out for everything. You know the initial rule that pastors um, are never alone with a child. You know, we're just never alone with a child. Even now, you've noticed we put altar boys in, even they dress in a separate room and they only come in for the prayer in advance. Um, even though we'd rarely be almost never alone on a Sunday morning, even I wouldn't be, there's always somebody in the room. Nevertheless, the altar boys vest in a different room from us. So there's all these things you can do if you're going to say that everybody's in. Of course, you have to be clever, but you still say life is really complicated and, you know, you know we... Um, we just tend it. So the challenges. Number one, 4A, don't be a dork, which is a <coughs> huge um, theological challenge, Vicar, uh, for your first congregation. I mean, you just have to say it out loud to them occasionally. Here's the thing, man. So often Christians are dorks. I mean, so, so often I don't want to be around Christians, you know, for, for various and sundry reasons, from they've never read, you know, a book to, you know, I mean, why is it, Victor? Why do I have to? Why do I have to introduce every? Why? Why do I have to introduce every vicar to Dr. Dre? Why is that my responsibility? Because you can't live in a world. I mean, you're such a white man. You can't live in a world without Dr. Dre. He's everywhere. Okay, he's a billionaire. Come on. I mean, why do I have to? You know, Pastor Nelson always rolls his eyes and then he sends a playlist to the new vicars. Like uh, we have every every vicar gets to listen to. Um, Tupac, only, ju only God can judge me now, right? Now, I'm just telling you, you should listen to the cleaned up version unless you said your prayers first. But uh, I tell you, you want to hear the gospel? Tupac, only God can judge me now. I mean, go listen to that, but not alone. And you should listen to the, you should listen to the other version, not the Friday afternoon, the pastors are here by themselves version, okay? All right, good. There's a reason we keep the doors locked after 3.30. All right, so don't be a dork. That would be my first thing. And, and dorkdom comes, as you know, in many, many possible ways. Please don't, okay? Um, I've already talked about this. Don't be what people often say the church is, which is judgmental. You heard the synod is the Catholic community synod on family. The very first day, what did they talk about? They talked about finding words that still stake their claim to the world but aren't so harsh. Is a very interesting adjustment, which that's that's the adjustment of people who are who fear that they're they they become irrelevant, which is good. I mean, the church the church can, you can say, I mean, in a very calm voice, you're a damn sinner, or that's a horrible thing you've done. I mean, you don't have to hit people in the face with a two by four. It's very just a very interesting beginning. So you know, don't be a dork, and frankly, not quite so judgmental. And the other thing is, you can work on this hard, which is. You know, no hypocrisy. Jesus hates it when you demand something of other people, but you won't do it yourself. You demand that people give, but you won't give. You demand that people serve, but you won't serve. You demand that people pray, but you won't pray. You demand that people are sexually pure, you're not sexually pure. You know, the church has struggled with that greatly over the past couple of decades. 
you all these things where you demand of others but you won't do it yourself, which is, I've often said this, for any, as far as I can enforce it, for any leader in the congregation, they come to church, they go to Bible study, they tithe, they say their prayers. And we, we always sort of, honestly, undercut nominations for people who don't do that. You might think they're a perfectly good person, but they don't fit those things. Why? Because we can't stand up and say, here's the thing, you have Oktoberfest, following on 4th of July, following on the steak fries, following on the... We can only do that because people tithe here. There's a reason there's not a free will offering basket. It's because people tithe. Because we're not going to ask you to bring your friends and then try to shake them for money the first thing. That would fall under being a dork. Okay? <laughs> so, you know, we're not going to do that. You know, if we can't afford to make dinner for you... I mean, when your friends come to your house, do you charge them? Do you put a little basket around and say, you know, hey, welcome, good to see you again. You know, if you could pop some in that basket right there, we'll get out the good Cabernet. Otherwise, Aldi had a special. Okay? I mean... <laughs> That's not, that's not what you do to people. You just, you know, is that how you treat, you know, that's being a dork. Please don't be a dork. All right, good, okay. So, uh, yes, my friend. I had a friend ask if there was a cover last night. A cover? What did you do with the money you took from him? Because, uh, you know. Um, all right, five. These are really good stories, right? I mean, this is just the review of, you know, they're beyond us. I've kind of done this. You have to know them to tell them. You need to come to Bible study. You know, you need to, you know, it doesn't have to be this one exactly, but you need to, you need to learn the stories, and you need to learn the to- tell the stories like a normal human being, and frankly, to trust the story to do its job. You know, your job is to be a servant, not a master. It means you don't close the sale. It means you don't demand that people decide for Jesus because nobody can decide for Jesus. The paradigm, the story that Jesus tells is, you were dead and now you were alive. You were lost, and now you were found. The parable of the prodigal son. The text says, my son was dead, and now he's alive. Take that seriously. Dead people don't decide for anything, right? I mean, that's the story. The story is about being resurrected. So you tell the story, and you let the story do its job. Now, if you can't, and when I teach at the seminary, I I say this, if you can't tell me what the doctrine, any doctrine, if you can't say any doctrine in the church in under five words, you haven't thought it through carefully enough. Now, that's a bit of a high bar then for, you know, but for seminary, it's fine. People should be able to say in five words or less what any doctrine of the church means. Otherwise, they don't know what they're talking about because the revelation of God, while complex, is in some sense pure and simple. He tells us, and you can, everything is connected to everything else, which is my, why my mind, you know, moves all around. But the reality is if you can't say in five words or less, you know, what the story is. So, I picked up some of the ones for Zacchaeus, and I just kind of give you these, which is, you know, and these are, these are things that are not obvious, and you'll notice that the preponderance of these start with Jesus doing the talking. But Jesus loves curious people. So, um, you know, Jesus, Jesus loves people who ask questions. The church can't be afraid of questions. So many churches you go in, you're forbidden to ask questions. You can ask any question you want. The church has stood up to those questions for 2,000 or 4,000 years, the church is going to be fine. The church is a very, very thoughtful place. And Jesus loves people who are curious. He really, really does. Um, you know, or Jesus loves people who are yearning or struggling. Or this great text. Jesus, remember one of the texts we read is, he went to eat in the home of a real sinner. Jesus loves real sinners. Now, you might not love them, and I don't love them either. And sometimes I feel like I'm being scammed, and it's being put over on me. And, you know, people, and I've seen this, and I know some history, and on and on. Here's the thing. Jesus still loves those people. Jesus loves real sinners. Or, here's a weird thing. 
Jesus makes sinners very comfortable. Did you notice how Zacchaeus, who's the biggest sinner in town, how comfortable Zacchaeus is? Zacchaeus has got the most important guy in town at his table. And he's extraordinarily comfortable. So I just ask you, part of the story then means that when sinners get around you, don't be a dork, they should be extraordinarily comfortable. This doesn't mean, and this came up over the course of the last couple of weeks I've talked about, acceptance and approval are not the same thing. Right? In our world, it's been so conflated that acceptance <clears throat> has not only gone to disapproval, but um, also to mean victimization. And then in the postmodern world, to be the biggest victim is to have the biggest stake. So that's currently how thinking works, and it's worst in universities. So, and I'm not making a political statement here, but there are only two um, registered Republicans on the Harvard faculty, and students are trying to revoke tenure of one of the guys who's 78 years old, right? So then there'd be one, and certainly when there's one, there'll be, you know, it's not a democratic or political sort of statement. It's just that if you have a renowned university faculty where everybody thinks the same way, danger will Robinson, right? When everybody thinks the same way. Now, it means a couple of things. It means you have to be comfortable with people thinking differently than you. And you have to listen to people and be kind to them. And you have to accept them. So regularly at St. John, this, despite my best efforts, there have been, there's been a trickle of, of gay folks who have sort of trickled out. And um, you know, I've worked with uh, more than a couple very, very hard. But the primary problem I have in, in how they think is that disagreement means denigration, or disagreement means violence, or disagreement means um, victimization. It's couched in different ways. Now, you see, that's a very potent political strategy. You see it again in, even from the governor's race on down now. If you disagree with somebody, you're a horrible person. It's an argument that goes to character, right? It's one of the great banes of the current, um, the current way of thinking, okay? And it's, it's too bad. I mean, it's a reaction from, historically, you can trace it from a bunch of things, including how people were oppressed and how they were cared for, women, people of color, all, you know, people of different gender identities, all that kind of stuff, okay? But here's the thing. So now we pay the price for our past sins, okay. I mean, I get that. But it's, it's very, very difficult because you have to ha have people think in a very different way that I can actually disagree with you and still be respectful. And I, I was thinking about the, a lot about the church, especially about pastors, because, and I, I read something, I read a theological document that the church put out this week on, uh, or two weeks ago. So the Missouri, I might, I might as well put all my cards out. Um, you know, the Missouri Senate put out a thing on communing young children. Uh, it came out the middle of the month, and in September, you know, we're still fine given our practice, but I'm sure it was people like us who were in the crosshairs of that. Um, because it, it makes people uncomfortable. Now, the reason I feel so comfortable about that is because I'm only doing what Luther's doing. Luther's pastor, Bugenhagen, says you commune kids at six or seven as the normal course of events. So, the, And this is always my argument about people who think that we're not Lutheran, which is, you haven't read any Luther. Ooh, that was judgmental and dorky. So here's the thing. <laughs> See how easy this is? I'm victimizing them right now. But, you know, so they get this committee together and they put this deal out and it's, it's, it's just feels like they knew what the answer was before they got there and they decided that it would, things would just be the way they've always been. And I'm just like, come on, really? You didn't engage the postmodern world. You know, you didn't engage the, there's kind of the famous footnote I've given all of you where somebody went and read all the 
instruction manuals for pastors and told them at what age, and it, it says in each town, you know. And you can see that for the first hundred years after Luther, it was between 6 and 12, and it crept up as the Enlightenment came. It's a really easy historical argument to make. Um, you know, so you can disagree with people, but the, the, the churches very quickly, and we're trained, and I've, I've realized this in pastoral training, we're trained to go at people, highlighting the points of disagreement rather than agreement. And so over the years, you've heard me say regularly that we're, we, we really need to be defined by what we love and not by what we hate. It's extraordinarily important. I mean, it's one of the, it's, it's, it's one of the, it's an Achilles heel for Lutheranism, and it may be the biggest problem that we have, is that we're trained to be defined by what we hate, not what we love. It has to be exactly the opposite. So occasionally, and especially, it always kind of rubs it the, for here with the communion policy, although we're very, you know, we're, we try to be as careful as we can and interesting. But it's interesting, it's, it's usually people 10 years older than me who went through the Seminex time, who had really bitter things happen, who are on one side or the other. They either think we commune too many people or not enough people. And it's funny how they have this line that's already made up about who we are and what the problems are. Because it's actually not my experience, but you, you can just see that it's, that it's because, you know, because how do, how do you have church conversations? You identify the weakness in other people and you hammer them. That's not the people that we want to be, okay? You can disagree with people without victimizing them. You can disagree with people without oppressing them. Primarily how you do that, the disagreement should come from some sort of intellectual capacity. So you can disagree with your head and you can still love people with your heart. Unfortunately, this is collapsed. I mean, this, everything is connected to everything else. Um, you know, sex is a great example. I flicked something on the other night. I mean, I'm, I've kind of given up television, not because like any kind of stand, but I just am not quite that interested. But I happened to flip onto something and there was, uh, all it was, I mean, it was mainline TV. I, well, I think it was. I mean, I don't know. I don't know where I was on the dial. Who knows what you watch when I'm not around? Um, <laughs> But, you know, it's basically this, it was a younger woman, you know, kind of my daughter's this age. And this was like, this is mainstream, basically saying, you know, I can sleep with anybody. And this guy who was a little bit older basically said, you're the definition of a booty call. Okay, so this is where we are. If you need explanation for that, I'll have a private session later. Okay, so, so here's the thing. But so what's so interesting, and people, the next generation down, the next generation down, gradually sex has become... Um, basically detach from the human being, you know. It's, it's basically, I mean, it was one thing to have it be detached from love, but, I mean, you, here's the thing. Most people know if they've had sex. Most people don't know if they're in love. So if you have to choose one and you don't like your le- world to be ambiguous, people choose sex. And the interesting thing is, is how, how, um, how detached what that, what that does to human beings. You no longer think about the sense that you have you know, an intellect to see and a will to choose and a heart to love, and that your intellect seeks to be to be um, engaged, and your heart um, seeks to ha- seeks a beautiful thing to to grab onto, and the will, the will wants to be um, drawn towards something noble, right? We, that's not even in the conversation anymore, and that's the way um, Christians, you know, that's a place where Christians can speak. Now, so you can speak that way to people who completely disagree with you because you offer them something more. You offer them a chance to be fully human. John Paul II wrote this fat and very difficult treatise on the body. I've often thought about doing it for this, but it would take so much work. 
It was neglected, actually, when he wrote it, but it's blasted genius about how um, we've reduced ourselves almost to the point of being subhuman, you know, to being animalistic, because we don't understand who we are. It's a very great story, who we are, right? Made in the image of God, which at least means an intellect that sees and reasons, a heart that loves and seeks to be settled, and a will that chooses for beautiful things. At the very least, it's that. And you can tell the story that way, in a way that neither victimizes nor repels. That would be the anti-dork way of telling the story, right? You can tell it in a way that actually soothes the heart of people who are clearly yearning. Most of the people I've told you that, most of those people, their pain is it's, it's skin deep. I mean, you can, you can just see, you can see the pain of people. And see, the thing is, if you come at them as one who would inflict more pain, you're just another guy standing in line, right? You're just another guy who's going to do to him what everybody else has already done to him. And so the church is no longer otherworldly, the church is worldly, right? Now, the easiest way that I can think for you to do this is to be able to learn a story or two and tell a story or two in a way that's kind. The Zacchaeus story was a great example because... Jesus, and I'll give you the next one, doesn't take offense and doesn't give offense. You all know people who take offense. In any situation, they can find something that's wrong and they can point it out. In fact, they can create it. We had a lot of weddings this summer. Weddings are the most fascinating study. I should write a book. There's always somebody. So my last rubric at a a wedding is, is that we don't start while there's still somebody outstanding, right? So there's still somebody out there who might have got caught in traffic, somebody who's important to the family. It's a wedding. We don't have a something else coming up behind it, usually. You know, we can back up 15 or 20 minutes. But you get weird things. Like I remember this wedding where there was sort of um, uh, uh, this patriarchal aunt who ran everything and passive-aggressively, but sometimes aggressively. And so nobody knew. So here we are. It's three. Start times three. It's three. It's 305, it's 310, they're still playing, trying to find stuff to play. Murray had a little lamb comes up as part of the prelude because we're running out of stuff. And like everybody's looking around going, we don't know if she's stuck in traffic or she's punking us so she can take control of the wedding, right? So at 320, she wasn't here, we finally decided to go because we thought, you know what, that's enough passive aggressiveness for anybody. But see, you just don't, you just don't know, you know? Now, we don't take offense, we don't give offense, but some people go through life giving offense. Some people go through life taking offense. Jesus doesn't give or take offense. His his life is too simple for that. He just sees this guy who's out and who wants to be in, and Jesus is very good about being up close next to sinners. Now, here's the thing. Jesus doesn't just excuse sin. He doesn't just say, carry on. You know, one one of the story, part of the story is Jesus loves restitution, which Lutherans never talk about. Jesus, it's when Zacchaeus stands up in front and says, I give half of everything I got to the poor. That's the people I don't know. And then the people I cheated four times, which is a great little investment return. Okay? So, I mean, that's the most amazing thing is that then, it's at that moment when he's made restitution, when he's done what he could do. So it's not just that he's repented. It's not just that he's been forgiven. It's not just that he's a good host. It's when Jesus says, or it's when Zacchaeus says, and I'm, I'm going to fix what I can fix. Then Jesus says, this man is the son of Abraham. Right? This man is saved. So I think if you can begin to think about, or you can, I'll just give you the rest of these. Jesus doesn't shame. Jesus isn't a burden. 
Jesus likes rich people, Jesus likes poor people. You see all the possibilities. If you know anybody shamed, anybody burdened, anybody rich, anybody poor, anybody who's given offense, anybody who's taken offense, anybody who's out and wants to be in, right? Anybody who's got sins, anybody who's bound and wants to be free, this is a story that you can tell them. That's the key story, the, you know, the wee little man. Let's, I mean, the thing of, that story is such a genius story because, it, because here, here's the man who wants to be in. Jesus loves him and completely disarms him, completely disarmed. He has a feast. Imagine who his friends were. Imagine who the people were at the feast. The dude doesn't have any friends. So if he's got friends, they're bad, they're bad, they're bad spawn, okay? He's not, but Jesus just doesn't, you know, and eventually, what does Jesus do? Jesus loves him into, right? People know that you're church people. You don't have to tell people that you're church people. You don't have to tell, church, you don't have to tell people what you stand for as church people. People have a pretty good idea. So you see, this is still under the Lutheran paradigm of law and gospel. It's just that when people see you coming at them like they see me coming at them, when people see a collar, when people see a steeple, what they hear is the law. This is quite unfortunate given that we're in the gospel business. You know, as Walther says, you know, always a preponderance of gospel, not the law. Paul, sin abounds, 2 plus 2 plus 2 plus 2. The number for that is for addition. Grace abounds all the more, 2 times 2 times 2. The number all the more is the multiplication number. So your sins grow like this, and then the gospel grows like this, which means that all the stories you tell, or at least the great share of them, need to be gospel stories, not law stories. But we come at this so often, we'll judge people, we'll put them in their place, we're defined by what we hate, we know exactly what's wrong. That is not what Jesus does. Jesus will only be your enemy if you make him be your enemy. Jesus does not begin as your enemy. You have no enemies. You do not begin with other people being your enemy. You do not. Every person you bump into is the opposite of your enemy which is exactly how Jesus engaged the world. When you hear the Christmas story this year, you hear the Christmas story very, very differently. When the angels sing, Glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth, they're all his people. He's interested in having everybody back home again. We have to completely adjust to that. You may not be of how you were brought up, okay. It's not the way that I was brought up, certainly not in my church. It's not even what I really got from the seminary. Okay, whatever. We got this corner and we have this life, and we have this possibility, and that's where you need to start, okay? All right, enough for today, but next week, the story now. So take the story that, that I've given you, the story of the roof falling in. So here's the point. Jesus loves it when the roof falls in. For all your relatives who say, if I came to church, the roof would fall in, you're like, perfect, Jesus loves that story, right? <laughs> so we're going to read the Mark 2 story about the roof falling in. You got sort of an outline there. Take a look at it, but try to think about it in a way that is open, that is loving, that is non-judgmental, and yet is still Christological. It'll change you, I think. All right, we've got a baptism, got a hop. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right. Thanks. See you.